From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV ratings. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash STVR. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Thanks for listening. And today, uh, I thought it would be fun to take the two guests who have been on the podcast the most and pair them up. So it's my great pleasure to welcome back Ad Age's Anthony Krupe and uh, Sports Illustrated's Richard Deitch to the podcast. Richard and Anthony, welcome back. Good to be here. And thanks for having us. So, uh, uh, Richard, I have a quick quiz for you. And uh, it's inspired by your media roundtable with uh, Jimmy Train and Chad Finn today. And Anthony, no blurting out the answer and Richard, no Googling. What was the first year that the Super Bowl viewership went over 100 million viewers? That's a good question. By the way, Robert, as always, thank you for the invite. And um, can't thank you enough for the money that you're paying Anthony and I to do this podcast. That's (laughs) that's always appreciative. Um, the first year that it went over 100 million. I mean, Anthony will probably know this. Let me think about this in terms of after the 80s. And I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 1999. Okay, it was uh, 2010. Saints Colts. Oh, first one. Terrible. So, so well, well, it's interesting. So the you know the reason that I brought it up is because on your podcast with. Uh, with uh, Jimmy and Chad, you talked about how for you, it wasn't really these rounds uh, that bothered you uh, at all. And, and, and by the way, to, to that end, uh, your boy, John Lewis just posted, you know, uh, uh, a link to the 2015 wildcard round numbers where the, where all four games were down and the Cowboys were in it and nobody batted an eyelash. Uh, so I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. But you brought up that you weren't worried about it until the conference championships and the Super Bowl. So uh, I brought up the Super Bowl question only in that context. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't even describe it as worry. I mean, you know, I'm not Roger Goodell. I don't care if right, they're sure, sure. Me, me Ultimately, either. in the end, it doesn't impact me. I'll certainly write about it and, and talk to people about it. But it, and, and Anthony is a far better expert than me on this. But what I do feel confident in saying is for this wild card round, you um, you have to take into the account the teams that are playing and the markets that exist, the quality of the game, and the fact that the regular season was down. So they had no momentum coming in. And you are talking about some teams that I wouldn't come – that I would say are not close to national teams. What Jags, I think will be Bills, far more yeah. interesting – Yeah, Jacks, Bills. For, and I, listen, I lived in Buffalo for seven years. I'm psyched that they're back in the playoffs, but that's Absolutely. not a national team. They're just yep. not – they're not a draw. Um, and a small market, uh, you know, whatever it ends up being in the DMA. But what will be interesting to me, though, is we head to the divisional round and specifically the championship round and the Super Bowl. Those are the two numbers that I'll be interested in because if those have a precipitous drop, especially in the championship game, that's going to tell me something. And the NFL is setting up for, at least on the AFC side, some potential trouble if they don't get Pat Steelers because I don't think there's a – match up there, even if you get the Pats, that's going to be, you know, a mega over-the-top viewership. The NFC is a little trickier just because you have some big cities like Philly. Hard for me to figure out what's going to happen. And then finally, the Super Bowl, which, you know, we talk about it on my podcast, and there's no doubt that it, it really is a national holiday, and it's probably ratings immune, but Anthony can speak to this better than me. Like, imagine it drops from 111, 112 to, like, 104. In right. 103, in TV circles, that would be a humongous story. 
And that's why I'll be fascinated to to watch this year, that if we get some kind of legit precipitous drop, even if it's still over $100 million, which I'm sure it will be, that will be fascinating to me. Or if we go the reverse, where, you know, it's really cold that day, it's snowy, and you get $114, $115 million, well, you know, that could blow up some narratives as well. So I'm really interested in the conference championship and the Super Bowl number. So it's Anthony. And I think what's interesting – oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking all over you. Uh, I, I, you don't go that long without not speaking, so I was, I was thrown off. Go for but, it. Uh, go for it. Go for it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm with Richard on that. Uh, we knew the wild card games, were, the round was not going to be strong. You, you're missing Dallas and Green Bay, with perennially the two top-rated teams in terms of the national windows. Seattle's not there, and, you know, the Giants aren't there. And they were all there last year, plus you didn't have Pittsburgh – uh, excuse me. Yeah, plus you don't have Pittsburgh playing in the wild card because they got the bye. So those were huge teams that were left out this year, and, and there were small markets. And uh, you know, the Super Bowl is is a weird, sui generis thing in, in terms of it's probably the only sporting event that doesn't rely on the matchup. And we say that every year, and then it goes back to the original question, which I think is interesting. Everybody has kind of a very short term memory about the hegemony of the NFL, and, you know, uh, the 2010, the first year it jumped to 100-plus million, I think I think 99 out of 100 people probably get that wrong because it's kind of drummed in your head that it's the Super Bowl has been this mammoth thing, and it is. It always has been. Uh, but when you look at those numbers, you, you think back, and there were years where American Idol and uh, shows like Desperate Housewives and, and Grey's Anatomy did bigger numbers, at least in the demos, than Sunday uh, Night Football when it was still on ABC. So this all-consuming NFL thing and the way that's kind of colored everybody's perception about it is, is fairly recent. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, and this is going on a bit of a tangent, but the number of female viewers that have started coming into the Super Bowl and into right. the NFL itself is extraordinary. You know, we're almost at a 50-50 split where that game right before the, uh, uh, it sounds like you're in an EDM concert, um, <laughs> right before that record-breaking New Orleans Indy game, Pittsburgh, Arizona, quite possibly one of the best finishes of the Super Bowl, I think 38% of the audience was women. So a lot, I think a lot of the bump up, you have to kind of give a nod to women because men were pretty much saturated at that point. It's not like, you know, the, the male demos kind of spiked afterwards, but um, all of which is a very long way of saying, uh, I think if it does, if we go back to 2009 numbers, which I don't think there's a chance in hell that'll happen because the, you know, the lowest rated one we've had in recent years was that frankly awful Baltimore San Francisco game that didn't get interesting to the end. And, and there was a power outage yep. that kept halftime going. Yeah. So, and that's built it up almost 109 million people. Yeah. So I just, I don't see it. If, if the people making the most noise about, so-called anthem protests and uh, on either side of the spectrum uh, really were going to sit it out as much as they claim to on social media and in other venues, then it's possible we'd see something like that. But I think anybody who chooses not to watch the Super Bowl 
because they're mad that, uh, you know, uh, uh, an athlete who no longer plays in the Super Bowl helped start a movement uh, about, you know, social justice, et cetera, et cetera, uh, then they're just kind of cutting off their own noses to spite their face. And right. Like so, say, Anthony, not- Anthony, if I can, if I can interrupt you, uh, so I, I just kind of sure. want to get to clarity on what you think about what Richard said. So let's say that it drops back to, you know, 98.6 million or whatever it was in 2009. Would, would, would that be catastrophic to you? Would that be like a whoa moment? Or would you just think, given the year we've had, yeah, I can kind of see it. It would be a whoa moment uh, only because I, just, I don't. I just don't think it's possible that that could really happen. But uh, it would be a big deal because it would it would suggest that suddenly the NFL doesn't have a stranglehold. It, the Super Bowl, I should say, doesn't have a stranglehold over the American imagination the way it does. And granted, but 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 ninety eight point six million. That's not a stranglehold. But, but when you're losing, when you're going down, you're losing 50 million. That's a significant thing. Um, on, on the one hand, NBC wouldn't be on the hooks for advertising deliveries because the Super Bowl is one of the only things besides the Oscars that there's no make goods involved. Right. Although they would take care of their bigger clients, obviously. Uh, it'd probably throw a bunch of Olympics inventory at them. But, you know, there's no ratings guarantee going in. But what I think is interesting is we're, we. Again, going back to the short-term memory of the big bad NFL, I look at these recent numbers since the decade started, uh, and uh, how it's over a hundred million every year, closer to a hundred, uh, hundred and ten most time over it. Uh, but those same years also aligned with something that was kind of really interesting. Every year you had a Manning under center. Every year you had Roethlisberger or Brady under center. Um, so it's kind of hard, except for that one Baltimore-San Francisco game, which is a total outlier. Uh, it's kind of hard even to say, uh, is it really, was it the star system? Was it the cult of personality? Was it just these were really, most of those games were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the the, the Seattle-Denver game wasn't so so much fun, but right. – uh, I, I, you know, for the most part, you, you had we've had we've been really spoiled in terms of the level of competition. I also think at least forty percent of the people who watch the Super Bowl probably watch it just for social reasons to look at the ads, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it, it would feel like uh, it would feel like the uh, the NFL would 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 start to take that very seriously should such a decline be registered. I I would bet a kidney. Not necessarily my own, but it me that this would not happen, and I don't think it would even go. I would, I would be worried if it went below one hundred and nine. Say, really? Okay, okay. Richard, yeah. thought, thoughts on what uh, Anthony just said? Uh, everything you said, I concur with. Um, I think if you saw a number under one hundred million, that would blow me away, just in terms of the decline. Uh, I know what your point is, Robert. If you look at the number in total. You know, still 99, 98 million people exactly. watching something, which, you know, isn't close to anything else in not just in television, just in entertainment. But I'm with Anthony on that to, to have lost that kind of to lose that kind of number um, in a singular year. I think every owner and every NFL executive, it, their head would spin. They, they'd wonder, is this a trend? Is it a blip? Is it just a one time thing? But I'm with Anthony. I, I, I 
just statistically, I can't see that happening. But I, I, I'm no longer, and I was somebody who sort of like was always waving the flag, like I don't know where the ceiling is. Um, I've now come back to earth on this. Sure. Like it would not surprise me if it hit 109 or 108 or 106. But I, I yeah, I, I, I'd be stunned if it went over 100 million. If it somehow does, though, I think it would be a major, major television story and a major cultural story. And I think it would attract, um, it would attract a lot of writers to do think pieces, um, both smart and then some horrible stuff, as Anthony and I uh, talked about in my piece, where everybody would basically be trying to figure out the reason as to why the NFL dropped this number from, you know, Colin Kaepernick to Brexit. You'd, you'd right. come up with that, whatever your, you know, flavor of the month is for the reason. Right. So, um, and I, I, I just, just absolutely shudder at the thought of the tweets that would uh, follow on the heels of 106 million, 105 million. Um, but yeah. So uh, on on your podcast today, Richard, uh, Chad Finn uh, framed something I thought in a in an interesting way or an easy to, to digest way, uh, which uh, Anthony has uh, written about in in your uh, column in much more colorful words. And the uh, the way that Chad framed it was. You know, all of us who who focus on the ratings regularly, we're you know we're we're used to them being down, uh, and kind of expect them to be down at this point. Um, but the uh, but the public is still surprised, and I, you know, I'm just wondering: is there anything we can do about that, or or do we just have to you know keep keep putting our heads down and just churning out the actual numbers without you know without uh, spinning them too much either way? Well, I think the public's surprised because I think anybody who's written about this stuff has basically been writing for many years about, and I include myself in this, the NFL strength, the NFL is untouchable. So in part, we're to blame because we, um, I wouldn't even say bought the NFL's narrative. I mean, I just sort of published the NFL's prior to 2015. You yeah. know, the, the NFL's chart was going in one direction. The, um, the national game numbers were phenomenal. You had um, ascendant teams and, um, you know, whether it be the Patriots or the Packers, the Cowboys are essentially always an ascended team. Um, and I think that I understand it. The public now, uh, at least for that slice of people who actually care about this stuff, want to know why the rating has dropped so much. And this is a tough one to pinpoint exactly. Uh, you have a lot of smart people who come up with theories, but there's no way to really prove anything unless you interviewed every single American about their football consumption. I'm one who subscribes to, you know, what people like Austin Karp and Anthony discuss about changing habits and cord cutting and the quality of play. But, you know, I, I, I will at least, if you have a reasonable argument with me to, to sort of tell me that there are pockets of people in this country who have turned off the NFL for whatever other reason, be it turned off by protest, uh, no longer want to watch a game because of health reasons, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right. or the reverse, you know, they're, they're turned off by the fact that the league did not support one of its uh, athletes initially. I, I give you that, but again, I still believe, um, and I feel there's enough smart people behind it that that's not the statistical reason for it. I, I think the larger reason for it, honestly, is quality of play and oversaturation. And if we continue to have Thursday Night Football and we continue to have, I think, some middling quarterbacks, I don't know if there's anything that's going to change that. Um, I did buy, I will say this, and I think most of us who covered this did, I did actually buy into the thesis 
that Donald Trump and the presidential election had just taken up so much oxygen and had turned so many people into watching cable news in primetime windows. And I think it, on hindsight, I probably overvalued that a little bit. I still believe it. And I think you could, you could cite numerical evidence that makes it true. But it's lasted long enough now, and even though the Trump's news cycle never ends, where I think I, I was one who probably bought into that a little bit uh, too much and probably did not buy enough into oversaturation and quality of play. Anthony? Yeah, and I think one of the things, even even somebody who, like me, I have to be a total wonk about the numbers across the board because I, I cover things outside of sports, although, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, I wish I didn't because it's, you know, it, it's just increasingly less uh, impactful year after year after year. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I thought for sure it, there would be a bounce back because, again, uh, like Richard said, the, the Trump effect seemed very real, and it still does. I just, I don't think any of us knew what this year was going to be like. Um, and to, to this point, um, you know, if you said that X, Y, and Z would have happened in 2018, you know, people would say, oh, you're, you're off your rocker. But um, it's so hard to kind of draw the line under what's normal now. And it's it's increasingly hard to sort of, you know, point at anything and say, you know, that's a root cause. Uh, you know, I think there's probably, I, I wound up saying in a, in a different story about how the NFL is really going to miss and the advertisers are really going to miss the Cowboys and the Giants right. and the Seahawks and the Packers, et cetera, uh, that, you know, the NFL was, this year was kind of the corpse in the English murder mystery and everyone's standing around trying to figure out you know, what off this guy, except for the fact that it's still alive, it's just taking a breather uh, in, in the middle of the carpet for whatever reason in the conservatory. But there's, it's like there's 18 different web, clue weapons sticking out of the not so corp corpse. And it, it's hard to say which was the sort of not so fatal, fatal blow. Uh, so I, I think I, we had written about you know, try to take a serious tack and then to did a more goofy thing about like what the NFL should fix. Uh, and then what, uh, what are some things it could do, uh, actively to sort of, you know, to just stop the rating slide. Right. Part of it is, I don't know, given the way the demographics are, the 1834s are absolutely just disappearing from linear TV. And until Nielsen gets it together and measures that stuff on all platforms, you're just not going to see him come back. And that is just, that is a black issue. Uh, I, I, the CTE thing, you know, we saw, we saw again with um, uh, the, the Panthers game, you know, you saw a guy get up after a hit that, yep. you know, you, you, want, you wanted to see more time in the medical tent. You saw Russell Wilson this year, just wander out of the tent under his own volition after one play. He had to have his jaw realigned. You know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, if, if people are, that, that, you know, this is anecdotal evidence, but if people are saying, I'm not letting my kid play football, that's going to break the supply chain down the road. It, I think that's, that's a threat, if not just to people who feel kind of sick for yeah. supporting something that's so inherently dangerous and insane. Uh, so that was a more serious thing. And then my big thing was, uh, I don't think we published it for whatever reason, but I, I think it'd be nice if they stopped pretending that gambling doesn't exist. I mean, we've, we've got Uncle Al Michaels who makes this kind of like hint, hint, nudge, nudge 
things about the over-under at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, I, I could almost see bringing a, a, some kind of a younger, hipper, not racist <laughs> Jimmy the Greek into the mix for one of the studio shows. Uh, because the number of people, they, they've embraced fantasy. So, you know, why not embrace gambling? Why not just acknowledge the fact that there's something like $90 billion is probably going to bet, be bet illegally on both college and pro football this year. Yeah. Why not embrace it? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's... It, I was just going to say, I, 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 think, I agree. I also think they should adopt the Premier League's uh, relegation policy. <laughs> and, uh, the Browns uh, got to send it out for a couple of years. It's, so, it's, they're an abomination. So uh, pro-rel in the NFL... That would be such a cottage blog industry that uh, there would be a, a lot of opportunity for people. So, uh, you know, I'm really curious. Uh, both of you are uh, lovers of the, of the journalism, and uh, there are a lot of rating stories coming out these days that really play up the divisive and polarizing angles, uh, like the kneeling for the national anthem. And it'd be easy enough to ignore if it were just the Breitbarts of the world, but it is definitely not just the Breitbarts of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm still thinking that my uh, my best bet is to just bury my head in the sand and simply ignore those stories completely. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering what your guys' thoughts on that is. Well, again, I think any story that talks to that, that takes a journalistic tack to talk to people and to follow the story in terms of if somebody really no longer watches football or if somebody really has uh, like eliminated their. ESPN from their cable. I'm not even, I don't even know you can do it from their cable package, but has, has stopped watching cable television because they feel like ESPN is too left-leaning a network. If you could find people and tell their story and confirm the fact that they actually did go through with this financially, I think that's interesting. I mean, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually just talking about the, like the rating stories that come out today about the weekend ratings that say this was because of this, you know, the, the kne- well, kneeling, yeah, I mean, kneeling you, again, hurting you, the, the NFL. Right. Well, but you can, I mean, I think Robert D D D and I apologize for the New York city uh, <laughs> circle here. You'll hear some traffic and a nice, uh, beautiful recycling truck going by <laughs> Staten Island. It's exciting. Um, I think basically what you have to do is you have to ultimately rely on trusted sources when it comes to all this stuff. So, right. you know, I think if Anthony Krupe puts out something in that age, that's an analysis of ratings. I read it yep. like he's a guy who works and traffics in the space. I consider that legit. Austin Carp has absolutely no connection to any television network. Yep. And so when he puts out something, I read it and I, and I take that as valid and I take that as an expert. Mike Mulvihill, I think, is a fantastic follow on Twitter. I think he comes yep. up with some incredibly interesting statistics, but he works for Fox Sports. Yep. So I certainly take that as this is really interesting from a really smart guy, but, but I also yep. in the back of my mind always know who pays him and some of his, some of his um, information probably get, is from a certain POV that is generally speaking favorable to Fox. When the ESPN PR people come through with their statistics, I generally don't think they're lying about the numbers, but how they frame them and certainly how they frame them on a press release is absolutely spun yep. towards giving ESPN – the best possible story. So what I would say to you, and I bet you I'm sure Anthony will agree with me on this, is I think you got to find the trusted people in the business who are really good with ratings, who don't have any kind of financial connection to the networks, um, in particular the cable sports networks, and then those that do have the connection, I, I think take their information 
And if they are, generally speaking, reliable as people who are putting in at least accurate numbers, even if their spin has a certain POV, I think that's valuable, too. The ones who come out and just basically take a narrative based and cherry-pick week to week, are, are, I think they give away that they are trying to sell what their narrative is based on their numbers. And we all can do that. Sure. And again, listen, I am somebody who absolutely uh, compares um, a FS1 sports talk show to a cartoon rating for a larger point. I know it's not an apple-to-apples comparison, right. but look what I'm doing. I'm totally I'm, – I'm more than transparent. I'm actually doing that to make that knucklehead on FS1 look clownish because of what he does to athletes. So we can all play these games where we take numbers and spin them how we want. So I think you just have to follow and, and, and trust in the sources that really have no skin in the game other than to inform the public. And I'm not kissing his ass just because he's on this podcast. I, I consider Anthony Krupe one of those people. If he writes something, it's generally speaking based on talking to media buyers. It's based on really going deep inside the numbers, and that's somebody who, who I would trust. Yep. Anthony, go for it. Well, I appreciate that uh, log rolling because I'm going to uh, point a gun at my boss and make him listen to this, and that will be my argument for uh, getting a big fat raise. Uh, let me see. Uh, you know, I think one of the things I do is I try to keep the networks out of it altogether because – uh, like Richard said, they oh, they love spinning. They, even when they, the numbers are great, they they just they can't seem to stop themselves from trying to frame every narrative. Uh, I think because they know that most people who write about ratings are kind of lazy and they will sort of write anything you put in front of them without really looking into stuff. Um, we see a lot of shenanigans on the entertainment side. You know, here's our live plus seven-day rating. Well, that's great, but that isn't what you transact against. It has nothing to do with who's watching the commercials. And uh, since the dawn of television, television is about watching the commercials and not watching the content. So uh, I, I try to kind of sidestep that by just getting the numbers from, you know, the source itself and, and – working from that, I keep a big database too, because I, again, I think if you, you rely on somebody else to sort of give you numbers from five years previous or 10 years previous, you'll get a lot of verbiage that you don't necessarily need to cut through. Like, you know, they'll be like, well, this was before they started measuring uh, the DVR data, which doesn't matter because 90 Five percent of us watch five anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's part of the deal is with doing any kind of um, data-driven journalism. Besides, is to is to always kind of have to check to make sure you're not buying into a narrative or or sort of forwarding a narrative because of uh, your own bias, which you'll get accused of all the time, no matter what. If yours point of view doesn't line up with uh x y and z uh which is which is why i'm a big uh, proponent of never ever reading the comments because then i just <laughs> want to get in fights with people right so um you know speaking speaking of narratives one of the more popular narratives and i'm going to tie this into uh to richard shouting out mike mulvihill one of the more popular narratives just you know, people throwing it spitballing uh, for uh, NFL ratings declines is the uh, is the NFL red zone. Uh, 
And uh, it's always interesting to me that, you know, Mulvihill is the guy who's, you know, kind of poo-pooing that notion. And uh, there, his affiliation with Fox actually, it actually, I think, pays off for me because uh, I figure if if someone with the, you know, with an incentive to blame the NFL red zone doesn't actually blame the NFL red zone, I'm not going to blame it either. Any thoughts on that? That's, I'd see to Anthony here. Well, I, I think, like, you know, that we don't have very good rating statistics for red zone because technically, and I'm waggling my fingers uh, moronically in a way that you can't see, uh, you know, they're not measured by Nielsen. They are and they aren't. Uh, no, they're measured they're, they in don't metered have enough, markets. Yeah, in metered markets, but there's no final live same day or anything right, like right, that right, because right, right. they don't have enough saturation. Um it used to be if you were in 33 million houses, you were basically in a third of the homes that were available to you. You would release the numbers and you would sign up to be a, a Nielsen sub. But since they're not ad supported, at least not the red zone programming quad red zone, it doesn't really make sense for them to release Nielsen figures anyway. I mean, those are just advertising numbers anyway. But I think what's interesting in, in terms of trying to figure out whether that you know, again, anecdotal evidence, everybody watches Red Zone, everybody says, well, it can't be that big because the base is only 35 million subs or whatever it is. Um, You look at the numbers by the windows, and I don't know if there's not something to it because I'm not sure how to parse it yet, but this early Sunday single header windows, so those Standalone uh, regional games at one yeah. o'clock, and straight four o'clocks, and uh, all the ones that are in that big fat box slash CBS four twenty game, which is national. Hang on, Those Anthony. Anthony, Anthony, wait yeah. it out. Wait out the siren. Okay. I'd rather hear him talk with the siren, so that's more interesting to me as a box. <laughs> it sounds more yeah. dramatic. Yeah, but uh, but I'm, he would have had to say the whole thing over again anyway. So, okay. So, Sorry uh, it's just I was saying before somebody was having the worst day of their life. Uh, uh, I always think about that when a siren goes off. It's like something's not going as planned. Uh, not good. Eleven uh, percent down with the Sunday single headers and the regional games. If you look at that as a standalone window, so that was pretty much the biggest drop for any of the windows besides Sunday night football. So if you say that, well, maybe maybe Red Zone did play a part in it. Why is it suddenly in a Red Zone? If Red Zone's popularity is increasing, you certainly see more people talk about it on Twitter, and uh, God knows it's great because you don't have to watch advertising. I, I think if they were a little more judicious about the creative that they ran instead, you know, having to see the same four spots over and over and over again over the course of the season, uh, right. it wouldn't be as bad, but I, I think it's, it's a great product. I think an 11% decline in that particular window when you have to imagine red zone viewership is highest. Maybe it's coincidental. Don't know. Not, not enough data, but I, I do think that does sort of stick out for me uh, because that is, you know, that is the biggest drop if you take things on a window-by-window basis. But then again, you know, the drops in prime were pretty 
much of a piece. You know, the whole drop was 9% in total viewership. So it's not an extraordinary departure from what we saw throughout the year, uh, but certainly a little more than Monday Night Football, which is arguably the least compelling schedule. And uh, you're starting to get burned out at that point. Um, And, uh, you know, so I... I, I would love to be able to dig more into the data about that because uh, there's probably a story there. I just don't know if we're there yet. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, guys, I'm going to get you out of here with a, with a, a question on the, the CFP, but, but before doing that, like I, I still really love the idea of, of this podcast, but I, I, I think I'm going to like need to come in New York and get you both into the same room, get us all three in the same room uh, and have a, a little bit better acoustics for it. Uh, to, to, to pull off what I'm hoping for. But uh, uh, so for if, for anyone listening, if the audio quality is really bad, I apologize. But uh, so the college football playoff is coming. And uh, here's, here's here what my Twitter feed says. Boring, anticlimactic. Is there a game on still or is that already over with? And, uh, you know, my sense would be, well, the ratings will be at least as good as they were last year when the when the semis were the championship ratings will be at least as good as they were when the semis were still on New Year's Eve. Uh, and I'm just wondering what, what your guys thoughts are and what you're expecting as uh, far as the ratings tonight. Or for Monday night. Who do you want to take that? I want both of you to take it. You first, Richard. Um, I would expect the. Uh, I think there's. Um, I think they're going to have a challenge uh, tonight as we take this a couple hours before the game to pull any kind of big rating. Now again, you have to be rel- you have to keep everything in sort of relative terms here. They, sh- they still should draw 25, 24, 23 million, whatever it is. But I don't see them going really high tonight. 27, 28, 29. I guess it's theoretically possible if the game is just incredible. But and I think there's a number of. Uh, reasons for that. I do think um, there's probably a bit of Alabama fatigue nationally. And college football is a little bit different than the NFL, where I think um, I think fans don't get as sick as the Cowboys and the Packers as they may um, for a college football team. And that's probably because college football, ultimately in the end, is still far more regional than the NFL. So I think that's a factor. There's no doubt you can't get around it. As great as Alabama and Georgia are, it's still a uh, southern-based championship final and it's still an SEC based championship final and I think because of that I do think you eliminate um, some people from the Midwest and in the West and certainly in the Northeast who just don't have the attachment to that conference hey guys um, hang I'll on a second I, I apologize you c- continue continue um, yeah so again like you know that I think the regionalization here is a real issue and I think that ultimately will factor in um, the viewership numbers, because I do think you lose some people in the West and certainly in the Northeast and, and the Midwest. Um, so I would expect, I, listen, I would expect the production of the game to be fantastic. I think the megacast is one of the best things ESPN does in terms of the amount of viewer options. I think the, um, the largest of the game, I think ESPN will absolutely capture. But I think there are some things that are really against the college football uh, championship this year, including... Um, a little Alabama fatigue, an all-SEC final, uh, not a ton of momentum it feels like leading into this game, and probably, last but not least, not a lot of stars to market the game around. That would be one thing where Baker Mayfield, um, had, he, had Oklahoma made the championship game, 
you know, you could really sort of mark it. You could always mark it around a Heisman Trophy winner or somebody who's like a polarizing figure like Johnny Manziel. They don't have right. that in this game. And so I would expect the number to be down from last year. How much down? Hard to say, but this is not going to be um, – this will not be a television rating, I think, that um, sets the world on fire. All that said, and Anthony, of course, will appreciate this, ESPN's uh, numbers crunchers will do their very best when they send out that release to make it seem like, uh, you know, the game was the most watched game since Moses came down from the mound. <laughs> so so your prediction is uh, lower than the uh, the Rose Bowl semif- I'm gonna, semifinal? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll just, I mean, I'm just going to sort of go off the top of my head and say 20, $24.5 Okay. Anthony? You know, I, 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 it's, hard, it's hard to guess college because I, I, Richard sort of hit on most of the arguments I wanted to make. I think the one advantage there might be is that at least, uh, and I get it, 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 it eliminates the, the, the ACC, uh, and you've got a kind of a, just a single conference game, and so Big Ten people might not want to watch, et cetera. But another Clemson-Alabama uh, matchup in three years might have felt a little like, and I, this, this analogy is not going to work because in terms of the ratings, this isn't how it shake, shakes out, but in terms of like Warriors, uh, Cavs again, maybe if they, they ran into each other again for the fourth time this year, you're kind of like, mm. but the NBA, their ratings picture is such a different animal at this point. It's not, not a very good analogy. So I'm not even sure why I said all that. Uh, that said, uh, I guess I would have to say it's, it'll be down, uh, even if it's a great game because, Last year's final was incredible, and I, I was shocked that it was down over the first Alabama-Clemson game. Not by much, but, but by a whole household point. Uh, same demo, um, only off, you know, a million three or something like that. But I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, so I think a lot of the issues that they're going to face with the rest of sports TV, it, it's just going to kind of continue this year. Uh, regardless of how great the game is, it's still going to be a big fat number. It's still going to be 23 or 24 million, I'm sure. Uh, and and I think when you wrap up all the mega cast stuff, it'll it should definitely get within shooting to 25, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think for all those reasons, the SEC thing might turn people off. I think uh, Larry Culpepper might be uh, culpable for uh, any sort of shift. I. I noticed a lot of hostility toward Larry Culpepper when I was home for Christmas, uh, including my father, who I don't think he's watched a commercial to completion in about two since they invented the remote. But he uh, something caught his eye about one of those spots, and he was he was really old Italian man livid about it. He wanted to know who yeah, likes this, why are they doing this to me, uh, and then he thought he was Tom Poston. And he mumbled something about never watching Newhart again. So it got kind of way off into the weeds. But, uh, yeah, I think Culpepper loses him. Uh, oh, my God, ESPN is not going to like this. And neither will Dr. Pepper, but I don't work for either one of them. Yeah, Culpepper. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, doc, the, the, yeah, the Dr. Pepper uh, ad campaign, I think, for your average person, is uh, that Culpepper thing maybe has run its course. Although, didn't I just read either today or yesterday that ESPN re-upped the Dr. Pepper? So I'm sure they're about that. They sure did, but they could get another media agency in there to maybe do something with. It. It's just a puzzling campaign. It's just 
I don't really understand who's who's the fan base for this guy. Uh, so, uh, and, oh, by the way, I, I wanted to wedge this in because I, I wanted to get on record. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to write about it just yet, but uh, if the Steelers beat the Patriots in what we assume is going to be the AFC championship game, uh, NBC is going to do some kind of special either a marketing thing or try to cram in like a five-minute coda to the postgame. Uh, this is us. It's going to be uh, even more cloyingly uh, ah, ubiquitous. Yep, yep, yep. It's that old Steelers. I've only watched it once, and it's not not my cup of chamomile. I, I get why people like it. I'm not bagging on it, uh, but given the fact that the main characters are, are Steelers super fans, and it took oh, big place, yeah. I guess, in 1980. I think the NBC was really hoping they were going to get Steelers Rams Super Bowl 14 to rip off a to rip off of because then they would literally they could do that without messing with the timeline. But who knows if it's the Steelers and Vikings, they could really get 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 some mileage out of that too. So that's my uh, my most pedestrian Super Bowl prediction uh, uh, that I'd, I have for. I'd, I'd watch Steelers Steelers Vikings. So so Richard, um, I just just want to get your thoughts uh, a little bit more uh, on the uh, on the the college football playoff. So even even if even if the uh, the championship numbers are down, and even if they are lower than one of the uh, one of the semis, is it still a win for for both viewers and uh, and ESPN with the uh, with the 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 semifinals either being on uh, on uh, a holiday or a Saturday going forward? Yeah, ESPN. This is the bowl season's already been a win for ESPN. The numbers are up from last year. Um, they've been able to beat down the narrative, which always exists that there's too many bowl games people don't care about. Um, yep. It's been proven to be a good television product that people will tune in, especially because a lot of times there's just not a lot going on in sports on certain nights. The semis were good. Um, it's been, again, proven that Bill Hancock and that Cabal made a terrible decision to try to change the paradigm of college football playoffs by putting it on on New Year's Eve. And even though we're going to get it again later in the contract, it's been a disaster, and I'm glad that the viewing public proved that, uh, um, you know, proved the hubris of the college football playoff executive committee from trying to change that. But yeah, even if the numbers aren't great, um, ultimately, and I, this is one I buy. This is not a spin. I think for ESPN, I think their executives are saying the right thing, and that is, we can't control the uh, ultimately who gets to the championship game. We don't control the play on the field. We just try to produce yep. the best possible product we can. And so they got Georgia, Alabama. Um, I'm sure in their dream world, they would have loved Alabama, Ohio State, or um, Michigan, Alabama, or Ohio State versus another team that, um, you know, a lot of people uh, want to check out. But they didn't get that this year. They got an, they got an all-SEC matchup. They got to do their best um, that they can with that. And so I think it's a win for ESPN. I, I think they have always, to me, invested really, really well in college football. From college game day to the quality of their announcers and production – in the games to just the tonnage that they have. Um, they are very much a college football network. Um, there's a lot of irony there that everybody sees them as a left-leaning network, yet they're a college football network, uh, <laughs> which has a lot of roots in conservative and red state. Yeah. So they, they do that well. And I think, yeah, I think, this, I think they, it is a success story for them, even if tonight's ratings tank. Right. So, Anthony, any, any final thoughts or barbs you want to lob at, uh, at Richard or me? 
well, no, my New Year's resolution is to get in more pointless Twitter fights with uh, uh, agenda-driven analysts. Hey, can we uh, can we no... can we talk about Rich the Snitch? Can can we tell Richard about that, or is that is that topic off limits? Uh, no, I, I I'm sad that he kind of kind of backed out of the the uh, what would have been the um, Lincoln Douglas debate the <laughs> of uh, of 2018. Um, yeah, well, you tell him because you you're kind of like the the, the third party observer there. So uh, so uh, uh, you know, Krupe is an, an astute observer of the media landscape. And he often calls him like he sees him on his on his personal Twitter feed, and uh, he took he took BTIG's Rich Greenfield to task, uh, and 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 mocked him relentlessly in a tweet. And uh, and as a result of that, I actually tried to pair Creepy and Rich up for a podcast, and all that led to was freaking Rich, uh, you know, contacting Creepy's boss, asking asking him to make him make make him pull down uh, Anthony's tweet that was mocking Rich. Oh, jeez. And the, uh, yeah, and the, I, listen, the, I, 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 I like Greenfield just because he pisses ESPN off. I, I understand that. that, but you can never, you can, I mean, that is the worst of the worst calling up somebody's boss to do that. I'm not going to mention the person's name, but a very, very high ranking ESPN management executive once called my boss at Sports Illustrated, my previous boss a long time ago, Terry McDonald to, uh, call me an, to call me an asshole and really <laughs> went off on me. Um, and to, uh, my boss is everlasting credit. He called me in. He told me the management person who did this. And uh, he said, are you an asshole? I said, no, I don't think so. And then uh, secondly, he said, but more, you know, he's laughing. He said, more importantly, have you ever written anything that was inaccurate? I said, absolutely not. He goes, okay, conversation's over. Take care. Um, and this, my boss was friends with this ESPN executive. Uh, but that always sort of struck me as like kind of dirty pool. Um, yep. It's not dirty pool to go after one another on Twitter when it's sort of, you know, 1v1 and the world can see it. But it's a whole other level of bullshit when you're calling up somebody's boss to complain about their Twitter feed. I mean, you're two adults, you're two professionals. You, you know, either handle it publicly in that forum or handle it by phone. But that's the worst of the worst. So I can't respect Rich's move on that unless Anthony called him. And I know Anthony enough to know he didn't do this. You know, unless you called him a racist or, you know, uh, like or, or some kind of criminal designation. You know, that's different. You can't libel somebody. But if it's just basically come, somebody come out and saying, you know, I don't respect this guy's take and here, or he's full of shit and here's why, uh, I'm, 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 that, that doesn't make me happy to hear that. All that said, I do like people who annoy ESPN PR. I can't lie about that. <laughs> uh, Anthony, yes, is, I, is, is the tweet still up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the font of uh, Twitter. I don't know how to apologize. I literally cannot form the words. I can't eat liver. Uh, my one superpower is just hitting the jukebox and depriving Al of that extra revenue stream. And I hang out in a toilet in a diner, and uh, I call it my office. So uh, that's me. No, uh, you know, it's funny because the only time that's ever happened to me before, and I get it, I'm, a, I'm an HR nightmare. Uh, and they probably never should have told me to, like, get an account seven years ago, as it is. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I took a shot at a certain uh, Fox News personality uh, during the oh cow <laughs> during the uh, Obama uh, Romney campaign, and uh, they they did the same thing. The PR people snitched on me, and 
to my to my editor's credit, he, he basically, you know, told him that he, he wasn't interested in getting involved in that kind of thing at all. And uh, I had the right to express my opinion. And then they turned around and sticked the daily caller on me. Oh. So that was fun. Every once in a while, I'll go back and look at that thing and be like, I guess I am a pinko. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, it creates its own very unique set of challenges. Uh, But the thing that really ticked me off about that is this guy was basically just, uh, you know, declaring uh, the narrative about uh, John Skipper a complete lie, said outright that Skipper had been fired, that he'd been forced to resign. Uh, If, like you had uh, Miller on, if, if that narrative were true, at some point, somebody would have done something else. Because it's not like everybody hasn't been trying to figure it out. Uh, right. Yeah, was it surprising? Absolutely. I no, never in a million years would have guessed. But that's, you know, the insidious nature of, about that kind of uh, disease. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be under your nose. But just the idea that this guy who has no contact with anybody at Bristol or anybody at the mouse and who will kind of, you know make a joke about how they never talk to him and never call on him in conference calls. Gee, I wonder why. Uh, to, to, to make that kind of assertion to sort of suck up to a virulently anti-Bristol sports personality, it's just, that's embarrassing. Um, so, I don't know. Probably could have handled it a little more professionally, but uh, I'm Italian and I don't know how to behave myself. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really disappointed that uh, his move was to, uh, you know, to, to, to call your boss rather than to do the podcast, which I think would have gone m- much better for you both. Uh, uh, Richard, Anthony, thank you very much. And uh, hopefully someday I will figure out how to do this podcast in person with you guys. Thank, thank you, Robert. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Richard and Anthony for joining the podcast. And uh, if you made it this far, I apologize if that was an acoustical challenge. But uh, I still really love hearing those two talk about ratings. And uh, you can check out all the past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, RSS, and SportsTVRatings.com. And if uh, you're not sick of Richard yet, check out the previous podcast with Richard and Aaron Barzilai of HerHoopStats.com. And uh, the podcast before that with Jim Miller talking about making the PTI episode of his fabulous origins podcast. Thanks for listening.